welcome to the Haunted Haulers podcast, a place where your hosts, Wendy and April, discuss the creepy things that lurk in the misty shadows of the Appalachian Hills. I am, as always, the mysterious voice in the walls. Hey everybody, I'm Wendy. And I'm April. Today's tale takes us to western Kentucky and Tennessee to a place called the Land Between the Lakes, formerly known as the Land Between the Rivers. This 170,000-acre piece of land fell between the Cumberland and the Tennessee rivers. Dams were created on these rivers, and a canal was built, which created and connected Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley. The resulting Inland Peninsula was rebranded as the Land Between the Lakes National Recreation Area. Now, it's not like this land was just sitting there unoccupied and waiting to be developed. The Tennessee Valley Authority had utilized eminent domain to seize the land between the rivers and forced around 800 families to lose their land and homes. Creation of the lakes flooded whole cities, including Birmingham, Kentucky. Cemeteries in the flood zones were supposed to be relocated prior to the flooding. However, there is speculation that this job was not completed properly. It has been suggested that many graves weren't moved at all and that those that were didn't get replaced with the appropriate headstones. Additionally, many older graves weren't even marked, so they could have been difficult to locate. Some 200-plus small cemeteries are still located on the land that wasn't flooded. That in and of itself is enough to give the place a reputation for being haunted due to the desecration of the final resting places of the dead. Visitors to the park have reported hearing voices, seeing figures walking through the woods, and seeing orbs or strange mist in various places. A well-known story from the area is that of the phantom trucker of LBL. Reports vary as to where this trucker can be found, but people have reported being overtaken with a feeling of unease and seeing headlights bearing down upon them in their rearview mirrors. The headlights follow the vehicle for a time and then mysteriously vanish. Some local legends suggest that a trucker died in an accident and that his restless spirit now keeps watch. It is thought that the spirit is there to keep others from meeting the same fate. Perhaps the most widely known story about the LBL is that of the beast of the LBL. Many claim that a cryptid similar to a dogman or a werewolf stalks the northeast side of Lake Barkley. The bipedal creature is described as being nearly seven foot tall, covered in dark hair, and radiating a foul stench of death. There are varying accounts of this creature, but two chilling accounts are from the last 50 years. In the early 1970s, a group of students from Murray State University had taken their Volkswagen bus out to the LBL and set up camp. They built a fire and were sitting around enjoying the evening when one of the boys left the others to find a spot to relieve himself. While out there, he felt the hair stand up on the back of his neck and heard something sniffing around. He quickly returned to his friends and recounted what he had heard. They reassured him that it was likely just a wild pig, but as night came on, they began to hear strange sounds coming from the woods as if a creature were circling their campsite. They shined their lights into the darkness, but could see nothing. That's when the howling started, something that was like no natural wolf or coyote howl. By this point, the boys abandoned their campsite and loaded into the Volkswagen bus and hightailed it out of the park. However, they could see a pair of glowing red eyes chasing them, and at one point felt something come into contact with the vehicle. They didn't stop until they made it back to campus. When they exited the bus, they saw four long gashes in the metal as if something had left claw marks behind. Another encounter, roughly ten years later, tells the tragic story of a family that is massacred by the beast. There are two stories surrounding this incident. One story relates how a bloody scene was discovered at a campsite in a motorhome. Outside, the dismembered bodies of a father and his young son, and inside was a horrific scene and the dismembered body of the mother of the family. 
As the crime scene was surveyed, the officers noted that there were clothes belonging to a young girl, and upon further investigation, the mutilated and partially eaten body of the daughter of the family was found in a tree. All of the deceased family members had distinct claw marks on their bodies. Now, there is no record of this attack to be found in newspapers or online, and there is a lot of talk that the whole thing was covered up by the government because they didn't want anything to damage the tourist industry in the park. The other story about this account actually has testimony from an eyewitness, the sole survivor of the attack, a man named Roger. Now, Roger's complete interview where he tells the story is not currently available on the Internet because there is a documentary in the works that features Roger telling his tale. However, there are several other interviews with him that exist where he talks about bits and pieces of the attack. Roger contests that the other accounts of the story are incorrect, that there were multiple creatures that attacked the family, and that none of the family members were dismembered, that the creatures killed the family members by either breaking their necks or biting their necks. Roger was able to escape by hiding underneath the motorhome. One of the creatures was shot by the father before he was killed and later died from these wounds. The body of the creature was found in a tree near the motorhome. Roger escaped and found a farmer to help, and the farmer knew exactly who to call. A government agency showed up, and a man named Walt helped Roger and took all the information from him about what had happened. Roger attests that he and Walt became friends over the years, and Walt gave him information about these creatures and where they came from. Walt's story was that these creatures were human-dog hybrids that were government-engineered as a type of super-soldier. They had escaped from the government facility hidden in the park. The entire thing was quietly swept under the rug and covered up. The bodies of the former Amish family were removed, and it's suspected that they were buried in a single grave somewhere in the park. There are still people alive today whose close family members were some of those who were evicted during the creation of the lakes and the recreation area. Many of them dispel the rumors of the beast of the land between the lakes and attest that the entire thing was made up as a publicity stunt. Although many legends suggest that there was a beast of this type stalking the area as far back as Native American and settler times, former residents of the communities in the land between the rivers reject these rumors and say that none of these stories were ever told or passed around as part of their culture. What then is the truth? Is the land between the lakes haunted or stalked by a cryptid beast similar to a dogman or a werewolf or home to a secret government base full of scientists playing God with human and animal hybrids? Or are these just stories told to try to drum up tourism and revenue? The truth may never be revealed. And now it's time for the breakdown. Well, there's a lot to this story, so where do we want to begin? Well, I think the best place to start is the not paranormal stuff. Okay. Let's talk about the Tennessee Valley Authority moving all these people out of their homes and just being like, nope, we're going to take this. You don't get to live here anymore. Okay, so you're sitting on a board, maybe. I imagine this might be a board of people saying, you know, hey, I have an idea. Let's do this. And maybe there's a board voting on it. This is just how I imagine it works in, in my world. Um, voting, saying all those in favor. I'm going to say, heck no, this is not a good idea. Why would we want to do this? Not only are um, 800 people losing their, or 800 families losing their homes, 
But the cemeteries, mm-hmm. why do we think this is a good idea? Well, okay, so so the Tennessee Valley Authority, I guess, was created as part of the, the New Deal. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the reason that they were created, because there were some, like, flooding issues okay. in the areas. And so this was their solution to the flooding issues. So, like, maybe they had a good idea, but it was poorly executed. But, you know, we hear lots of stories about older cemeteries having to be relocated for one reason or another. And whether or not they actually get, you know, there's a lot of speculation that those graves are just hanging out under the water there because people didn't want to fool with it. I think it was the the Army uh, reserves that were tasked with the job of removing and relocating these cemeteries, which I'm sure was not a pleasant job. So, um, you know, there was a lot of did this really happen? Did they really move them? Did they just say they moved them? Did the, the right headstones get put back with the right graves? So there was a lot with that. Yeah, there's a lot of aspects of my job that aren't pleasant. I still got to do them. Yeah, pretty so much, they yeah. still have to be yeah. done. Um, and I, I think a lot of people can say that about their job. And in this case, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of, of believing in hauntings, and I'm the naysayer, but I kind of feel like if, <clears throat> if you do this, and you allow this to happen, you kind of deserve to be haunted. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, and so I actually know that there's a documentary right now that is in production that is being um, created by one of the descendants of one of the families who was removed from this, and it's all about, like, the horrible things that happened um, at that time and those families. Because some of them were moved multiple times. Like, some of them got moved, you know, when they created the first lake, and then it was so many years later when they created the next one. Oh, so, like, wow. Birmingham... Um, there was another Kentucky city, I think Golden Pond might have been the name of it, that also got flooded and, you know, families were moved again. So it was like an ongoing thing. And so there was also a lot of speculation because, you know, the area was kind of steeped in poverty, which is common right. for various parts of Kentucky. But also apparently there was a robust moonshine, um, you know, industry going among the people. And so there was also concerns well was this done to finally like you know because we have the prohibition and all of that was this done to finally like stamp out the last uh, you know vestiges of the the moonshine making so there was lots to that and i'm, I'm kind of anxious to see that documentary once it eventually comes out yeah and, and you know i understand flooding but i feel like there are other ways you know other places have dealt with flooding and they've de- dealt with it in a different way mm-hmm. and and i just i don't know was this really the solution well and i think i read that that jfk was the one who started the idea of, and this is hilarious uh, started the idea of having the recreation area so it's not a national park because in national parks there's no hunting right in recreational areas there is limited hunting mm-hmm. so um i guess the idea was that they thought by like the year you know 2005 that the american work week would have shrank from 40 hours a week to more like 30 or 20 hours a week and that people would have so much free time on their hands. We just had to create something for them to do with all of this free time. Okay. My first question is who's working 40 hours a week. I want to do that. (laughs) I really, you know, I'll I'll take, I can handle condensing down to that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take, I just want to know where do we get that future? Where do we get that future where we only work 20 hours a week and we have so much time on our hands for recreation? 20 to 30. Good night. I mean, I don't see that in my future. But yeah, uh, and okay, I want to go back to. I'm sorry, I can't get off the graves. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, not literally. No, go ahead. But um, so, and yeah, it, you you believe in an afterlife, and you know that's not really your 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 family member in that grave. But still, for closure, you want a place to go visit. Mm-hmm. You want to put flowers on it. If it's under 
hundreds of feet of water. You can't do that. You can't and, the, do that. and that is another concern that a lot of these families have is they don't have access to their ancestral cemeteries any and longer. And that's just not fair. And, you know, the, the ones that are still there, there's like 200 plus that are not underwater, but they're just out there. They're not being maintained. They're not, right. you know, they're overgrown. They're not, they're not getting the respect that a final resting place should get. And so I feel like before you do something like this, you just got to think it through. Mm -hmm. You know, what's going to be the outcome? How are we going to fix it? Yeah. So, I don't know. So, I mean, I d definitely, and, and two, you know, so we're, we're talking like, older time periods there were enslaved people there were i guess civil war soldiers some that were buried in those graves there were all kinds of like a, a group of people along with the settlers and the natives there was a lot of rich history in this land right and, and we've talked about this several times you know some of that energy can remain absolutely <clears throat> absolutely so yeah it's just really not fair to the families or to the ones who are buried that were and and to you know, to us, we're missing out on this history that's historical. So, right. it's really not fair. I know they talk about how sometimes when the water levels are low, you can still see like remnants of the the old cities oh. that were flooded. Like, uh, I think it talked about how like from space you could still see like one of the railroad tracks that was oh, wow. under the water, and it was just really eerie to like look at these pictures and yeah. stuff. And I'll try to find a few different ones and and put on there. Now they do have a um, a place that's set up. It's called the old home place, and it's set up to look like what a home place I guess would look like during the you know early 1800s or whatever, or the late 1800s. And so they have, like, I guess, period actors that are in there. Kind of makes puts me in mind of Fort Boonesboro. You know, okay. how you go and they, they, they're doing the day-to-day the -day life like they would have at the time. So, <clears throat> because there's lots of different, like, there's always something going on in the park right. today. It seems like there's always something that you can do or see or whatever, so. Interesting. Okay, so what do we want to explore next? Well, let's go on to this trucker. Okay. Because um, I think we'll spend the brunt of our time talking about the beast. So let's Absolutely. get these little <laughs> ones out of the way. Um, so this phantom trucker, like, I don't know about that story. Because, like, if if he's supposed to be there to, like, warn people away or, like, keep other people safe so that they don't meet the same fate that he did, like, then why is he chasing them around? Because it seems to me yeah. like that would create more accidents That than would be solve. a distraction. Um so we've talked about urban legends on this show before, yes. and he feels kind of like an urban legend. Mm -hmm. You know, kind We've of heard a, a lot of stories like that. Yeah, and that's kind of what he feels like. And I feel like every area has their urban legends. My dad, growing up, told me a lot of urban legends. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what they were. They were cautionary tales about, you know, lessons. Right. And that's kind of what this feels like. It, mm -hmm. it kind of feels like a story that's been told, passed down. And, and kind of like a, a lesson to learn, maybe to keep you safe. And that, that kind of feels like what he's doing. He's there to keep you safe. But like you said, it's a distraction. Mm -hmm. so if I'm being chased out of a place by headlights, you know, bearing down on me, you know, riding my tail, I just don't think that that's going to be a, a right. very safe feeling. And maybe it's like a scare you to keep you safe kind of thing. We've talked maybe. about that before, too. But now, um, in reality, probably people are having headlights bearing down on them probably just really inconsiderate drivers yeah. <laughs> and they've heard this tale over time and they attribute it to and that. they attribute it to that yeah but no it's probably just a really inconsiderate mm -hmm. driver behind them that would be my theory yeah i don't know but it is a good it's a good story it, I mean. it is a good story um <clears throat> well and i think it's interesting too and that we'll kind of pop back around to this 
but the the people who lived there before, you know, a lot of the old timers are like, all of that's hogwash. If you mm-hmm. talk to a lot of them, like, none of this is true. We never told stories like that. And we'll kind of get on to how then these stories might have come around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think just the idea of, like, the graves being disrespected, that definitely gives us a, a, a valid reason for hauntings. Oh, yeah. Um, so we have that, you know, the orbs, the mist. Those are the same kinds of things that we hear about when we hear about hauntings. You know, seeing apparitions, seeing orbs, strange mists, um, <clears throat> and voices. Absolutely. So definitely those would be reason enough for these woods to be haunted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we've got the Phantom Trucker, and then we have the story of the Beast. Okay, the Beast. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> um, this is intense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Ghosts, fine. You know, I, I'm not a person who gets worked up about ghosts. I'm not a, a person who's going to get worked up about a Phantom Trucker. I'm going to explain all that away. But you tell me there's a beast out there, and, and things that I've looked up, Said something about him walking on two legs mm-hmm. and being, was it seven feet yeah, tall? Yeah, seven or seven and a half feet tall. Um, covered yeah. in black hair, not fur, like black hair. Um, one of the things that I read, and it had a picture of a footprint, talked about how like it, the footprints were similar to like a human at the back, but then it had the toes and the claws of a wolf. I'm not excited about that. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, so now there were the, the two different stories that we told about that because you know there's all these different sightings of it, but I didn't want to get too far back into those. But the two more modern ones. So the one with the the you know I'm I'm I don't know what they were, but I'm just gonna call them the frat boys from Murray State. Okay. Um, you know, in the their students. in their Volkswagen party bus. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I <laughs> imagine. <laughs> so the the frat boys from Murray State. That one's given me some real urban legend vibe. Especially with the, the claw on the okay. bus, claw it kind of yeah. it reminds me of like the guy with the hook hand, and then exactly. when they get where they're going, they find the hook. And you that's know? one of the stories my dad told me as an urban legend, right? And so like I'm getting real. Hey, let's not go out and you know take questionable substances in the forest, you know, and, and things like that. And so I'm getting those kind of vibes from that story. Okay, I agree 100%. I feel like that's an urban legend. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that is a don't go out in the woods and be doing things you shouldn't be doing right. because that's going to happen. And, okay, let's talk about a couple of things with that. Mm-hmm. Number one, it said it was talking about the howl, mm-hmm. and it didn't sound like a coyote howl or a wolf howl. Right. I spend a lot of time outdoors. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time outdoors at night. Mm-hmm. You know, I could not tell you, I could not identify every animal howl right. that I've heard. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can identify, I'm pretty confident I can identify a coyote. Oh, yeah. But th- then again, you know, there are different coyote howls. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, is this coyote in distress? Is this coyote trying to get a mate? I wouldn't be able to identify those. Right. A wolf, I wouldn't have an idea, any idea about a, you know, does my husky sound like a wolf? I don't know. Yeah. There are things I don't know. So for them to say, well, it didn't sound like da-da-da. Yeah. I'm not confident I can identify all those. So that bothers me. Mm-hmm. And then the claw marks. Well, okay, I was doing a little science over here because, mm-hmm. you know, are we a science podcast? Are we a paranormal? I don't know. But so what the claws are made up of, of any animal, because mm-hmm. I was wondering if a bear could do that to the claw, to the vehicle. Right. The claw marks. Um. A bear's claws, the material that they're made out of, it cannot put scratches in anything that's harder than what the claws are made out of. Mm-hmm. So, like, metal on a vehicle couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it, that, it said that goes for any animal. Okay. So, any animal that 
the material that the claw that is harder than what the claws are right can't be you know gashes can't mm-hmm. be put down so if a bear can't do it i'm convinced that this monster can't do it yeah so i have trouble with that as well mm-hmm yeah, and like I said, that that one just feels real urban legendy. Yeah, to me. and I and I agree with you there. <clears throat> I'm afraid this didn't actually happen, and I'm not afraid. I'm actually glad because yeah. <laughs> now I can go yeah, back into oh, the woods. Oh darn, this one's not <laughs> really hoping this one would be the one. Yes, so yeah. I feel like I can go back into the woods again, but uh, yeah, I I don't feel like this happened. I think it's an urban legend. Right now, the other story, on the other hand, we have two very different accounts of supposedly the same incident. So now this supposedly happened in, I want to say, April of 1982. Mm -hmm. Now, I could find, again, there's no news articles about a family being massacred. There's no, you know, there's no uh, stories about any of that that I could find news clippings and whatnot about. So it doesn't exist out there. Mm -hmm. But in both stories, there's a government conspiracy cover-up aspect Isn't to there the story. always a government There's conspiracy? There's always. I yeah. don't have that much faith that they could be that coordinated in this. <laughs> like, I feel like it, this is one of those conspiracy theories where I feel like if you just sit down the logistical, like, okay, what would it take to cover this up? Mm-hmm. And it perfectly shows that, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, okay, so, so in the first story, it, there, it's just a random family. A random family, mom, dad, little boy, little girl. And we don't know, like, what they did to attract this creature or, you know, what happened, but we just know that they were all slaughtered, dismembered, horrific things. They were found. I think the way the story went, um, that, you know, it was camping season. They came there early before everybody else did so they could find a really good place to park their motorhome, their RV or whatever they had at the time. And um, and then the, their bodies were discovered after the fact. Okay. So, and then, of course, it was covered up because the the entire place gets their revenue from the tourist industry, and we don't want, you know, if there's a monster out there killing people, we probably don't want other people hearing about it because then they're like, I don't think I'll vacation there this year. I could definitely see a place covering up because they, Jaws, Jaws, one, two, three, all of those covered it up because Mm -hmm. they wanted the tourists. Right. Um, so I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that is a, you know, a trope that gets played again in stories. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, you know, again, maybe a little urban legendy. And then my question is, okay, so we said there was no proof of this actually happening, right? right? But let's say it, it there was. Could it have been a bear? That's, yeah. So could this have been, and, and I know black bears aren't one to attack, mm-hmm. but then grizzly bears. And could this have been a grizzly bear? Well, and here's my thing. If this happened and nobody saw it happen and it was just discovered after the fact, how do they know what the creature looked like? Right. I mean, they don't know. All they know is, that, you know, and maybe, you know, I don't know how good forensics were in the early 1980s, but maybe like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a claw mark of a bear. Right. Or that's a, you know, because I don't know how advanced they were at that time, if they right. could tell, like, you know, oh, well, this is what a bear claw mark looks like. Um, so maybe... Maybe that was all just speculation. Maybe it goes back to the fact that there had been stories about this beast being in this area from other time periods. But again, if this is just some random family, then, I mean, surely they have other family members going to come looking for exactly. them. Um, I don't think that they are going to then just disappear off the face of the earth and they're like, oh, 
where's you know Uncle Bob and his wife and his kids? Well, I don't know. They took off <laughs> one day just, and never came back. We just I never mean, saw them again. We just didn't think. I don't think it. that people are just going to let that kind of thing go. And and I hate to. I, there's no proof. And I hate to quote my teenagers that I teach, uh-huh. but pics or it didn't happen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. But that that's where I'm at with this. Well, okay. So now the second version of that story, though. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Before we move on to the second version of the story. So I was trying to find, like, the original recounting of this story online. And so, like, I went down some pretty deep rabbit holes. And so just like we tell our teenagers that we teach, once you put something on the Internet, it's never really gone forever. 100%. It's never gone. what I discovered was that there is a woman named Jen Thompson Mm -hmm. who is apparently a very good writer and who had familiarity with the area. And she wrote... Had this website, you know, because anybody can put a website. We all know about that, too. Anybody can put a website up. So she put up a website on the Internet and started putting all of these stories out there about this creature. And I'm assuming a few other, like, paranormal things, too. And I guess at one point, somebody kind of called her on it. Because these were all things that she supposedly heard secondhand or had some involvement in. The stories are very well-written stories. Well, I guess she got called a liar and a fraud. She took her webpage down, so her original webpage no longer exists. However, nothing on the internet is ever really gone, and so I was able to find like a um, like a backlog, like internet history site that had basically archived her old page, and so it has all those stories on there. Now we'll link to that in the show notes, but. That was her account of, you know, basically this story was kind of traced back to her original story. Okay. Now, whether or not she had some firsthand knowledge, I guess my understanding was people just called her a fraud and she took her stuff down. Okay, interesting. So, um, so that is a, a good possibility there of what could have happened. Now, um, so what I gather, though, is that this second story, you know, we have a, someone who claims to be a survivor, And, you know, his name is Roger, and he has a a YouTube channel. I think it's like Roger LBL, so you can look up his stuff, and he's got different clips on there. And he has had multiple, I guess, I guess he came forward way later after the fact and told his story to, I think think it's called the Cryptid Institute. Mm -hmm. I'll have to look into that, Um, and, and we'll actually link that. So he tells his story to them, and he gives a very different account of what happened in April of 1982. So in his story, he is with this family, and it is a, it's still a, you know, a man, his son, um, the wife, the daughter. Now, this family is a former Amish family. Now, I don't know how big our Amish presence has been, you know, historically in Kentucky, Mm -hmm. but we do know that sometimes people leave the community, and once they leave the community, they, they, like, cut ties. They don't go back. Right. So, um, so this former Amish family and he were going out for vacation or for whatever out there. And so the, the sister and the mom were in the motorhome. And the way that he tells the story, the creature came up and grabbed the son and was mauling the son. But again, he says that the, the, they weren't dismembered or anything like that. They might have been bitten on the neck or they might have um, had their necks broken, but they weren't dismembered. It wasn't the big gory scene that was told in the previous story. Right. So um, in his version of events, the creature comes up and grabs the son 
and the dad happens to have a shotgun close by, and you know he's like trying to get the creature, and I guess in his attempt to kill the creature, you know he accidentally shoots his son. Mm-hmm. Now, the creature drops the son at this point, and then attacks the father. The father then is killed. Now Roger takes off and ends up hiding, and I, I guess at one point. There's another creature coming through one of the windows, breaks out one of the windows in the motorhome, is coming in and dragging out maybe the daughter, and then the mother goes. Anyway, Roger doesn't know what to do, so he's hiding underneath the motorhome, like up near the drive shaft. Mm -hmm. And he hides there until it's quiet. And then he leaves and flags down a farmer in a truck. And the farmer seems to be very well aware of, oh, I know exactly who to call. So that leads into part of the conspiracy. Is this something that had happened before? Is it something that locals knew? There's something crazy going on out there. And if you see something, say something. And, oh, here's who you need to say it to. You know, maybe these gut, this unnamed government agency had gone around and talked to the locals and been like, hey, you know, this and this is going on. You don't need to know about it. But if something ever weird pops up, let us know. Because very quickly, a huge conglomerate of these government officials showed up to kind of deal with the scene. And so this is where the Walt guy, who is one of the government officials, comes in, and he takes Roger and takes him back to the scene of the crime, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Takes him back to the scene of the crime, and then that's when they find the dead body of the one creature that had been shot, because I guess Roger had shot it too with like a 410. I don't I don't know anything about guns. <laughs> All I know is that there, it was shot with two different types of guns. One of them was a 410, and I don't know what that means. But uh, so, so It's a he, small shotgun. Okay, uh, so he, 410's a smaller, like 12 gauge is a bigger... Uh, okay. Uh, I don't want to say bullet, but bigger cartridge. Okay, so yes. I guess the dad had shot him, and I guess Roger had already shot him as well. And I guess the creature died, but the creature was what was actually found up in the trees, not the body of the girl that had been, you know, half-eaten, as in the previous story. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess, like, it would just... The whole, like, issue of, you know, Walt, like, befriending this... Because he was... Roger was 15 at the time that this happened. Mm-hmm. So, like, the whole issue of, like, him and Walt becoming friends over the years and, like, Walt telling him, oh, yeah, we're, we're breeding super soldiers and we're crossing the DNA of humans and, and then this ancient dog that was known for its loyalty and we're creating these super soldiers and, well, they got out, you know. I kind of question that. Yeah, I have, a, I have problems with that. I mean, if there is a government conspiracy and they're trying to cover something up, I don't know that they're going to spill the beans to the 15-year-old who was right. involved in it. I feel like I'm a lot not, of that's going to be very hush-hush. I have a 16-year-old. And I know I'm not telling a teenager anything because <laughs> yeah. then the whole world's going to know exactly. it. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm sorry, <clears throat> science. You're going. <laughs> you're telling me. You're telling me you're going to breed a human and a dog to create a super soldier. Well, I don't know that they were breeding them. I think it was more of a gene splicing. Okay. Either something. way. Either, either way. Either way. It doesn't matter. Science. Yeah. The DNA. Our DNA is different. How? Yeah, it, I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. And is is this in the 80s? A, 1982 was when this supposedly happened. So you know, apparently it had been going on for some time at that point. And I don't think we can do this today. Yeah. And you're telling me we did this in the 80s? Right. No, I'm, I'm, I, 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 no. No, no, no. 
We're not doing that. Well, I think it's really interesting. Because like I said, you know, his original interview where he tells the story has currently been taken down because he has signed on with some, I don't know if it's like the Travel Channel or like Discovery or whatever. You know how they do those little stories about haunted places. Oh, yeah. So he's under some kind of contract with a show because he's going to be telling his story on the show. And so like right now he can't like tell his story. So like... He had that, I guess, the the Cryptid Institute, or again, I'll have to double-check that name, that he originally gave the interview to has, like, archived that episode for the time being because they don't want it out there before the the show comes out, whatever show it is going to be. So so there's no account of this happening? No. And, of course, his story is, this is a former Amish family who has left their community. They have no one to miss them because they have left their community and thus been shunned. And the bodies were all taken away. Um, he thinks he knows where they're buried, but he thinks they were all buried in just one grave out there in the, the preserve, I guess. And that it was all just covered up because nobody wanted anybody to know that the government's out here in this national park reserve place and they are, you know, creating genetic super soldiers. And- okay. I don't think they are creating genetic super soldiers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really don't think they're doing. Oh, okay. I love all things military. Mm-hmm. You know, my son wants to join the military. The military won't even let their soldiers take steroids. Mm-hmm. You would think of all people, the military would want their soldiers to take steroids <laughs> because who do you want to be more buff than your soldiers? Mm-hmm. But no, they want their soldiers to be healthy. Right. So to me, that, and I know you're looking for the correlation there, but I'm just trying to say. I don't think they're going to do that. I, 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 I don't think it's possible, for one thing. Well, again, different DNAs. And in the interview that I listened to, um, which it was like a four-hour long interview, so I only listened to parts of it. But so it, we had this one guy that was like facilitating, and then you had Roger who had called in, and then you had somebody who was kind of like, um, you know, calling Roger out on parts of the story that didn't make sense to him as a former police officer, as a former military person. And those were some of the points that he was making too, because he was like, look, um, you know, if I'm in the military and I'm expected to fight along these super soldier beasts and like, how am I going to know that they're not going to turn on me? No, I don't think anybody's going to do that. Right. No soldier is going to be like, yeah, I want this guy as my partner. Um, I can't trust him, and I don't know what's going through his mind, mm-hmm. and it's not even really a person. But, yeah, I want him to do my part. I don't think anybody's going to do that. Right. And I don't think anybody's going to expect someone to do that. Right. And I hate to doubt someone in their conspiracy theory, and I tend not to believe conspiracy theories. And I hate to doubt someone because I feel like one of these days, probably <laughs> in about 10 years, I'm going to be involved in conspiracy theory, theory and nobody's going to believe exactly. me. Exactly. I feel like that's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be that person that no one believes. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe in conspiracy yeah. theories. I really don't. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of with you there. I mean, it's interesting <laughs> to listen. Because, I mean, you can tell. Now, this is one thing. And, and we've talked about this on other episodes about other topics. Roger really believes what he's saying. Yeah. In every single interview that he has ever given since his initial interview, none of the details have changed. Right. He's very consistent in what he says happened. And so that is, you know, like one way that they say you can tell somebody's being truthful because if they're not, That's they have important. to keep making up things. But no, his story is very consistent. His story never changes. Right. So he sounds very truthful. And maybe he truly believes that that's what happened. And sometimes you truly believe something. Um, I don't know what happened, 
But I do know that I'm going to watch this documentary. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Absolutely. I am there with popcorn. I want to hear his story and, you know, how this went about. Do I think something traumatic could have happened to him? Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. I don't think it was that. Mm -hmm. But like I said, again, I hate to naysay someone. Well, and it's really interesting, too, because one of the things that he said, like, he was like, I am not here to prove that this happened. He's like, I'm just here to tell the story. Right. And I think that's kind of interesting, too. It's like, you know, well, you know, you hear somebody's story, and then it's up to you whether you take that at face value or you don't. And that's kind of what we do here. We tell a story. Mm -hmm. We can't really prove whether something happened or not. We can't prove if this is true or not. Right. We can kind of give our opinion on it. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of what we do here, too. We just tell the story. and... And, well, and he says, like, when he thinks of, like, what the creatures looked like, that he doesn't really... It's not, you know, he's, he says, I'm not going to say it's a werewolf. I'm not going to say it's a dogman. I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I just know that it was a creature. And so what I think was really interesting is that um, there's an LBO researcher named Barton Nunnally. And I probably butchered his name, sorry. Uh, but anyway, he created a sketch of this monster based off of details. And so Roger says, yes, that's it. That's, of all the things I've seen, this is the closest representation to the, the creatures that I saw. Because remember, in his story, there are two. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's really interesting. And I'll post a picture of that on our Instagram, a picture of the image that was was created that he said that this is what this looks like. Yeah, but, I definitely want to see that. Um, I mean, it almost looks like a bat to me. Like the, the features look more bat-like than wolf-like. But maybe that's just my perception of the, the way that I'm seeing it. But I just, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting story. and Absolutely. But then again, you have locals who are like, this is all hogwash. We've never heard this story. You know, no, nobody ever told stories of like a, a dog creature or a werewolf creature ha- haunting this until, you know, Jen Thompson came out with her retellings and then it kind of spread from there. So there's a lot of like, well, she told, she was a good storyteller. She told a really good story and it kind of branched off from there. And maybe this person latched onto it because they had some kind of a traumatic experience and they're trying to explain it. Right. Maybe. Yes. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Exactly. But I think it's a very interesting story. Absolutely. And um, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a camper, but I might not mind to go out there and just check out the place one day during the daytime. Who wants to go camping? <laughs> I'm up for it. <laughs> I'm up for it. I've actually wanted to go out there before planned a trip. I haven't been out there yet. Yeah. Well, I've got some tents. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll just, you know. I'll come hang out during the day. <laughs> Go someplace else in the comfort of my own safety afterwards. So if you've ever visited the land between the lakes, or if you have any stories about creepy or, or paranormal things that have happened out there, if you've ever seen the dogman, werewolf, or the beast, as he is called, we would love to hear about it. Please, you know, email us, let us know. You can contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Haunted Haulers. You can also send us an email at hauntedhaulers at gmail.com. And we also have a webpage, www.hauntedhaulers.com. Until next time, listeners, beware of things lurking in the shadows. <laughs>